You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Hello and welcome to Man Marking, Series 4, Episode 1. Today, we are featuring David Cox. Uh, well, um, I started my career, um, left school at 16 and, and played for Kilmarnock. Um, I actually joined Kilmarnock when I was 14 or something like that. Uh, then went full-time 16 and I was there till I was just before I turned 20, I think, I get released. Um, and then I've been kind of part-time since, but played for clubs. Um, Alawa, Montrose, Annan, Airdrie, Peterhead, Forfer, um, and now I'm at Cowden Beef. So it's been, it was, I was started at 16, but um, never kind of went down the right, or never kind of followed the way I wanted to kind of go and stuff like that. But that's just the way football is sometimes, isn't it? So um, I found myself playing part time for a while, but uh, that's me, Cowden Beef, for now. Um, Getting on my uh, getting on in my in my years, so I think in the next few years I'll be I'll be hanging a bit, um, hanging my boots up. Joining me today, I've just got one of the uh, the gruesome twosome. It's Ryan Pulford. Ryan, normally at this stage we do a very quick hello, how are we doing, that sort of thing, and fly through it. Given the nature of today's episode, we thought it would probably be best to actually ask Ryan, how are you doing this week, mate? Yeah, mate, I'm okay. I had a bit of a tricky week last week, bit of a difficult one. A lad uh, I went to school with and, and played football with tragically lost his life uh, at 28. So it was it was quite a, a tough week last week, just sort of getting our head around that and um, come to terms with it. Uh, doing a little bit better this week. Um, standard week, really. Been in, been in work, working from home all week. A few games of football in there and just... Just looking forward to, to doing this series, really, because we've had a little bit of a gap in between series, so felt like I've had a little bit more time on my hands. Um, apart from that, yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Do you know what, mate? Funnily enough, obviously, when we plan these episodes and we come up with uh, opening questions and such, and we try to do it slightly different for this week, I was, I was having a little bit of a think about how I was going to answer it. I must admit, the last... I'd say seven to ten days have probably been the probably been the happiest that I can remember being for a long time. I just feel like I've got myself a bit of a routine now. We're in the new house, and I've started walking uh, a few miles every day to and from work, and that's given that's given me some you know some nice time to kind of you know listen to a podcast in the morning or put some music on and have a little bit of space. So yeah, and obviously getting that exercise in, and we've been playing footy together the last week or so, so that's been nice. But yeah, no. Funny, really, on on the footy thing, we we obviously had a long period without weekly football, as in playing ourselves, and we were going to park as we mentioned on here a lot, and just doing longies, which was really enjoyable. But it has been nice to have something with a bit more of a competitive edge back. Obviously, we both played last week, Monday and Wednesday. I think you might have even played on the Tuesday as well, in goal as the cat you are. Um, <laughs> 
but it, it, it's weird how that, that little hour a week or two hours a week, it really does make a difference, like, just seeing, seeing the lads and playing footy and doing some exercise, as you said. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you can overstate how important that is to both get that kind of the, the physical exercise side of it that we talk about, but equally the, the social side of it, seeing lads that you haven't maybe seen for a few months. And also, as you say, the competitive side of it's really important. I think having that competitive sport or a certain competitive in your week to kind of motivate you and drive you on, even just for an hour or so in the week is really important, I think. We're obviously without Ant this week. He's dealing with a, a family emergency, so to speak. So Ant will be back on the show next week, I'm sure. He'll have some new and interesting impressions for us when we get back around next week. Um, Ant was going to kind of talk us through why we wanted to to speak to David Cox, so I'm going to pick up on that. David, his story I kind of picked up on in a few BBC Sports Scotland articles that I read online that came up on my Twitter feed. He's got a really interesting story, David. He's had quite a, a difficult time maybe over the last sort of 10 years or so. And he's been really open in speaking about it and, and talking about some of the things that he's gone through, particularly with reference to the abuse that he suffered from fellow players and supporters whilst playing in the lower leagues in Scotland about talking about his mental health. So that was kind of the primary reason why we wanted to speak to him. And what actually came out of that, out of the conversation we had with him, was, was so much more than we were even expecting. And it's a, it can be a really difficult and uncomfortable listen, and, and I suspect it will be for a lot of people, but it's an incredibly important conversation to have. So that was why we wanted to speak to David Cox. Every episode, Ryan, we have a theme. Do you want to tell the listeners what this week's theme is, mate? Yeah, of course. So this week's theme is male role models, uncomfortable conversations and self-harm. Now, obviously, a lot of our episodes of have maybe had stuff in there about suicide or, or self-harm and people listening might think well is is there any difference in this episode and what i feel like we may have done on this episode is is drawn down on some of the reasons as as to why david was struggling he, he was very good at expressing what he thought went wrong in his life at certain times and and what he had to do to correct those wrongs so as we always say everybody's battle is, is personal to them and, and david's is, is quite a unique one where he was he was well known within the footballing circles in Scotland, but it probably doesn't come with that same sort of status of, of playing maybe in the Championship or the Premier League has. So it's that crossover of, of being the civilian David Cox, but also being the footballer David Cox. And I think um, I think people will be very interested in sort of the male role model aspect of it as well, because he speaks as a son, but he also speaks as a father as well, which I think is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's not an enormous amount left for us to add at this point other than to, to hand you over to, to David and, and listen to his story. We do just want to make a disclaimer at this point that for anybody listening, there are some quite graphic details, both about self-harm and about suicide attempts. So be warned that those are going to come up in the next hour or so. And we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Man Marking Podcast. This is David Cox's interview. This podcast about mental health and men's mental health in sport. Could you give us an idea as to why you agreed to do an interview for us? Um, I've done, I've done, obviously I've done a few of these over the years and stuff like that and, and been very public and speaking out about the mental health issues that I've I've faced over the years and the, the kind of things I've been through. And, um, 
and I just I just think that it helps people like if nobody's willing to talk about it then it's all, there's always going to be that thing about it where people are going to be scared to, to try and seek help or, or think that they're the only ones out there that um, that are dealing with these kind of problems which is obviously not the case so I feel that the more I speak about it and the more I'm open about it and I, I don't shy away from it um, it gives people a wee bit of kind of courage to maybe come forward or go and speak to somebody for the first time um, and basically that's that's the kind of reason I do it and speak about it because I want to help other people if somebody's been in, in a situation um, like I've been in uh, obviously I don't I would hate to think I'm going through that kind of stuff so if me just speaking about this and being honest helps one person come out then I feel I've done my job Could you sort of give us Little bit of a little bit of a talk through of your sort of early life. Um, aye, so the, the stuff I kind of spoke about um, in in the other uh, interviews was just a few weeks ago, and that's probably the first time I've actually spoke about it and went back to that kind of time and and tried to give a idea where my problems might have started. And I'm not saying that's the the whole problems, you know what I mean, but. Um, when I was young and stuff, I, I've got I had two brothers and a sister, a younger brother, an older brother, and an older sister. My older sister, my, my older brother, but um, they had a different dad for me. So obviously, when my mum met my dad, uh, they two were already there. And, um, then my mum had obviously me and my wee brother. So my dad was the kind of your typical, like your hard man's type of guy, or at least like to think he was. Um, and he just kind of grew up that way, do you know what I mean? So that was the way he wanted his boys to be. Um, and then because of that kind of stuff, it was, I only found this out maybe the past four or five years, but it just, it, it would do things like it would make me and my brother just stand and fight each other. And, um, to the point where obviously somebody would win, it would always end up in tears, I'd always end up beating up my wee brother and stuff like that. And just over the years, I think it just, that, the way my dad kind of was towards me and he was always dead angry and he was always like swearing and stuff like that and just kind of flying off the handle dead easy. So that was kind of what m me and my brother grew up with and, and what we knew. So we just thought it was normal to us, do you know what I mean? Um, so that was kind of the way we acted. Um, and obviously with the whole fighting thing and when we were younger, we were only like four, five, six and stuff like that. So it was a bit of a shock to us obviously not known at the time, do you know what I mean? Because my mum was dead quiet and stuff, whereas my dad was dead, as I say, dead loud, and um, he wouldn't have taken any kind of crap off him there and like that. So when we were younger, it was always like, ah, oh, you don't let him give any shit and stuff. And um, That's just the way it was. But I think, obviously, as I've got older, I've, I've just had this like, insane amount of aggression and anger, and I always just, the way I dealt with things, was, it was like fight or flight, so it was always fight for me. So I would always... I'd always become angry or face things head on, but maybe not in the right way. Do you know what I mean? I'd get I'd get upset about things and I'd lash out about things and I would wreck things around about the house. I'd be punching doors and punching walls if I, if because I never knew any other way to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? It was just always anger. Um, and then I think as that got older, that's how it, it kind of progressed into the self harming and stuff like that. And um, because when I done things like that, I, I hated myself for it. But at that moment in time, it was just like red mist. Do you know what I mean? And I never really knew much about it, uh, and then you kind of sit back afterwards, and you're like, you feel bad for what you've done or what you might have said, or 
obviously if you're, if you're, you're hurting yourself and things like that. So, um, and I, I never had a bad um, upbringing uh, in terms of I never wanted for anything. Do you know what I mean? We were never poor. We were never. I get everything I wanted. My dad took like, and I don't mean to paint my dad in such a bad picture, like um, because I love my dad and and I know he loved us and stuff like that, but. Uh, Maybe just the way he went about things, but he took me everywhere for football, like everything they bought me, everything I needed. So then my mum and stuff like that, they went to every game, they never, they never missed any, do you know what I mean? So they were always there for me and they always gave me what I needed. Maybe just the way he dealt with things and the way he kind of brought us up and or tried to get us to um, act was wrong and, and it's, it's had an impact on me and later in life because I've never knew how to deal with emotions, do you know what I mean? So uh, I think that's where some of my problems have stemmed from. Do you think it almost um, like normalised like aggression and violence as like a response to things? Yeah, definitely. That's because that's what, the first thing I would do. Do you know what I mean? Even being younger and stuff, I, I'm all. I've, I've been young. I've been just like, dead energetic and stuff. So I was always in the go, and I'm just always one of these guys that's in about everything, and um, always want to be not a class clown, but maybe being the centre of attention at school and stuff like that, but just doing silly things. And as I got older, if I get told off for it, I, I just never knew how to, I never knew how to take a telling, do you know what I mean? Um, so I would always react with anger. And it would be the same way anything else, do you know what I mean? If, you know, it's like in school, there's, you go to school and I, I, I in first year, I kind of get bullied a wee bit um, for a couple of guys. And then just kind of for then, I just get involved in a lot of like, fights at school and stuff like that. And as I got older, I just kind of always say to myself, I'm never going to let people do that. But um, I probably took that on in a different kind of way. And I was just too aggressive and dead dead angry with everybody and, and stuff like that. But I, that would always be my first thought would be, would be just to fight. And what was it like then, you know, as a young lad coming through in, in, a, you know, in a football environment? It was good. It was good. It was obviously... Wait, like, I think things have have changed nowadays the way the way clubs are running stuff like that. and I, I just think that a lot of young boys don't really get a chance to just enjoy football and that now. But when I was younger, I, enjoyed, I really enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I played with Livingston for a year when I was twelve or thirteen, um, and that was the first ever kind of really serious club that I'd been at. And then from there, that's when Kilmarnock had signed me. But I loved it, and it was, it was always good when you went to school and stuff like that. And people were like, "Oh, he plays for this team." and or that team and like some of the boys now would look up to you because they knew you were like one of the better footballers in school and stuff like that. And it was just it was it was good to be about you're, you're doing what every every young boy kind of wants to do. Um, but obviously, as you go you go professional and stuff like that, things start to change because it becomes about you really are fighting for places and, and it's not just about fun anymore. You're getting paid. You're, you're you're playing playing to get paid. So it's like a job, just like anything else. Coming into a, a you know an adult dressing room, you know as a teenager, it, it can be quite a difficult environment, can't it? I as it's um, but the good thing is though that when I was when I, when I signed, I was even before I signed full time, I was fifteen and I was playing in the reserves, um, and was doing great for them, scoring goals and stuff like that. And, and bear in mind, I was just I was really like I was quite a small guy, do you know what I mean? But I like to put myself about and stuff like that, so I, I never shied away from. Um, being around bigger players, or, or the fact that they were um, they were professional and 
and been doing it for years. So I, I love that kind of stuff. And then obviously when we went to training, we would always train next to the first team and some of the boys would get called up to go and train if there was bodies missing and things like that. So by the time I'd made my, my debut, I'd actually I'd actually been released um at the end of our, our second year contract for for nineteen. So signed for no, signed for two years. Or a year when I'm sixteen and then it was two years after that or, or the other way about. Anyway, it came to the end of it and, and the boys get pulled in and stuff like that. And and I was always one of the boys that was getting up and training with the first team and playing with the first team, but more than any of the rest of them. So when we get pulled in, it went kind of one by one. Um, and I get told that they want to keep me and stuff like that. I was absolutely gutted because I thought, well, I just don't get it because I was play- I was the one that was maybe called up before them else, do you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, that's what it was. And I think we maybe had about two or three months left of our contract. And obviously they were trying to give us time for the boys to obviously find other clubs and stuff like that, so when they told us, but we started to come in and train, and I just kept coming in, and I was still coming in and having to train with the first team, but I just went about my business as normal, I never kind of let it get me down, in fact, I probably worked a lot harder, um, and then they kind of came up to me, it was Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, they spoke to me at the end of training one day, and they like, come here, and they're like, we've, we've been watching you the past few days and stuff like that, and we've changed our mind, we want to offer you a contract, um, and it'll just it'll only be six months though, like, just to see how you go. And I'm like, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, uh, I was like, can I speak to my dad about it? And he's like, ah, well, you better hurry up because it'll not be on the table at the end of the day. So I said, like, right now, fine, fine. And just being a young boy, I was obviously nervous then. Do you know what I mean? Um, but no, I, I, I did obviously find it intimidating. But when I made when I made my debut, um, it was at Hearts. So, I think I come on for the last 15, 10, 15 minutes or something like that. We were winning 2 0. Um, and it was good because my, my uncle was, um, he's a massive Hearts fan. So, he he was at all the games and stuff. Um, and I told him I was, I was in the squad for it. He's like, oh, Billy, I'll be going, pal, and stuff. And uh, obviously, I got, I, I got my chance and, and made my debut and stuff. Um, and I spoke to him after it. Like, and I spoke to my mum after he's like, I've just been on the phone to your uncle. And he was, he was, he was only half fans like standing applauding when you come on and stuff like that. And he, he says that he was actually crying and things like that as well. So it was really good. And I came out after it. I was absolutely buzzing. Um, just phoning all my mates now. So I made my debut today. And but when you go on, you don't you you don't. It's like it's just a blur. You don't remember any. Um, and it's all so fast paced and stuff like that. So in terms of that, it's, it was obviously it's a different level for for what you were playing at. But again. You would just get used to that with, with playing in it um, more, but um, no, nah, it was amazing, and I I just loved I loved being about the first team and, and getting stuck in and stuff like that, and that's just always the, the kind of person I've been and always and always will be. Do you know what I mean? I, I never kind of shy away from just because they're bigger and better players or something like that. Like, I just go and do what I need to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh... It's it's one of those, isn't it, where it, it's you've got to get stuck in, haven't you? Right away, otherwise you'll get eaten alive, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I had a few, I had a few run-ins with some some of the first team players and stuff, like that, and, and I think that that's probably again that comes back to my anger and stuff like that. And I would always back chat because I thought I was right, and I wasn't. Do you know what I mean? But um, or if I thought I was right, I would. I'd never, I'd never kind of step back. I'd always argue my case. So. I found myself in a few situations with, with first team players and stuff like that. And I think ultimately that's probably what led to me not getting a contract. Um 
was my attitude. Not, I wouldn't say my attitude towards football because my attitude towards football was spot on. It was just the way that I reacted to things. Whereas when I look back now, I should have just shut my mouth and got on with it and do, done it as I was told. You know what I mean? The manager that I had is old school. Um, so you're not going to get away with any of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think ultimately that that's probably the reason why I've not played at a higher level um, for a longer period of time um, in my career. And I can take that in the chin because it was never it was never something that obviously as a young boy I could I could have thought a step back and, and thought about. It, do you know what I mean? I've only learned that over um, a number of years. Obviously dealing with mental health stuff. And how it all goes back, and, and how it could possibly all link in. So, I just, I was never brought up bad, but my dad was just a bit of a, a bit of a head case sometimes. You know what I mean? If if I got in the ring side, then he'd be chasing me about the house with a hammer or a, at the back with a brick or throwing bottles at me or, or whatever. Um, Definitely a character, then, yeah. <laughs> aye, so, and that's just and that's just thing. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't speak to my dad anymore. Um, oh, do you not? No, I don't. And it's just because my dad's dead. My dad's dead stubborn in terms of um, what he says is right and what he says goes kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, the older, the older I got and stuff like that, and the more I challenged it, I'm just and since I met my wife, obviously like five years ago, that things just started to I started to see things a bit differently, and I just removed myself. Eh? There's been yeah. a lot of bother, like obviously with him, and I've got a wee girl with somebody else and that, and. Um, just when it came to things like that, he was never really on my side and things like that. So I just found it very difficult. And it was for me, it was time to just go and you know what, I don't need that in my life. So it's not yeah. it's not making me any better or making me any better a person. So so can I just fast forward to when you were in your mid twenties? Yep. What was well, you could describe it better, but what was that period of life like? I know it was quite traumatic for you, but what actually was happening at that time? Um, well, when I was 20, I'd had my, my wee girl that I just mentioned there, um, to my ex and, excuse me, and, um, things were fine for, I don't know, but a year, and then we split up, and I'd just obviously been released for Kilmarnock, uh, so I was trying to find a job and not knowing any different other than playing football, do you know what I mean? I never really had any life experience outside of yeah. football. Yeah. I, left school, I left school with standard grades. Um, and as I say, I just never really had any life experience in that. I was never, never knew anything about getting into any jobs or how to go about it. So Yeah, I, I, you I never really had the opportunity, did you? No, nah, so I struggled with that. And um, obviously trying to get money in, with obviously a new baby being there and things like that. Uh, so I, I probably get involved in a bit of stuff that I, I might that I shouldn't have. Do you know what I mean? But um, I just things just started to kind of go for there. And then when I split up with, I split up with um, my wee girl's mum. It was just uh, like, to be honest, since then, and that's ten years ago, my life has just been made absolute hell, um, in one way or another. And it just never goes away, and it's and, I, and I'm not obviously I've got my own. I've got my own problems outside of that, but I think like you're just during that period, um, Holly's mum was just horrible. When we'd have done anything to to see me fail or um, whatever, and it was just a lot. It was 
it was hard not getting to see my daughter sometimes, getting to see her and, and I've been in different relationships and my ex trying to break it up and things like that. And it was just never, it was just constant, do you know what I mean? So all yeah. that kind of stuff got me down. Um, <clears throat> and then, as I say, just maybe getting involved in stuff and hanging about with the wrong folk um, back then. And I think that there was obviously a number of times that I've, that I've just had enough and uh, I tried to take my life. So uh, there's been a number of occasions where I've, where I've, where I've maybe took an overdose or I've slipped my wrists or um, tried to hang myself and, and stuff like that. And then the, probably the most serious kind of case was about five years ago when I, I, I slipped my throat. So that was that was that was the worst that was the worst kind of point. I think as I grew up and stuff, I started self harming probably when I was about fifteen, and it just it was it was just like kind of superficial kind of cuts and stuff like that. It just it released my anger at the time and yeah. um, made me feel. <laughs> Did it work at the time? Did it? You feel a release? You felt a release for a bit, and then you would just calm down. But then you would look at yourself and you would be like, "What have I just done?" Right. So, I mean, covered in these scars <laughs> up and down your arm and my wrists are all tan to bits um, and then doing things like obviously taking overdose and um, my mum my mum had found me twice uh, so that was kind of I think one time I'd, I'd, one night I'd, so my mum was going to work and she came in just to check me because obviously I wasn't feeling great and stuff like that and then I thought she was away so I'd end up I'd, I think I took 72 tablets or something, paracetamol and cocodamol, I think it was. So, And then later I found out that's probably one of, like, one of the worst kind of combinations, or, or at least one of them was one of the worst you could take. Yeah. Um, and then my mum just kind of double, again double-checked before she left, and um, she just came in and says, obviously my, my lips were blue and stuff like that, and I was, I just, I was just in a bit of a daze. Um, so I spent four days in the hospital with that and I when I dripping things to try and um I think I did to get like a charcoal drink as well to try and make me be sick yeah. and spew up. Um and then I kinda got a wee bit of fright when the doctor came round and he's like, Look, um just like how are you first and foremost and, and just kinda speaking to me about my mental health and that and he was just saying, Look, pal, but this isn't the way you want to kinda end things and like, if if things went what worse like they could have he's like oh, I had a friend who done this and died the most horrific and painful death ever just because everything just starts to shut down from the inside so yeah. I got a bit I got a bit of fright for with that. Um but again it's just I suppose it, it doesn't really matter sometimes when, when you do things and, and you know the consequences yet because you can come back out and, and when you get to that point where you feel so low and you're in such a dark place that that you forget about everything, you forget about what you've done before, you forget about your family, you forget about your daughter, it just make yeah. the pain go away, so yeah, that's how you end up doing stuff again. But You know, looking back now, was it a cry for help or did you genuinely, you had enough? I'd probably say there's been a number of them that have like, so like, I've got big scars on the top of my arm and things like that where I've, I've just took a knife and pure frustration and and cut myself like so deep that it's went through my muscle and things like that. That mm-hmm. that's probably, that was that was probably a cry for help. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, as I got over, take, taking over those, if I took that and my mum went to work, there might be a good chance that uh, I wouldn't have made that. Do you know what I mean? So, um, 
there's been a few occasions where, where I've meant to obviously do something and go through with it. So um, I some, sometimes I cry for help, but then I, obviously as things get worse and you feel like you can't take things anymore, then it becomes a, a, an actual a serious attempt, especially the one way where I cut my throat. Um, and that was just, that was that was crazy. Like, to think back in it and that you could just pick up a knife and yeah. literally, literally run it through one side to the other and open your I mean, neck wide open. Like, I'm I'm interested to know, obviously I don't want to, like, cause you any further distress you've been No, nah, listen, I can speak about any, and I, I don't mind speaking about it because sometimes that people just think that depression and, and, and poor mental health stuff just a bit, they think that it is a cry for help and they think that people are selfish and they, they do these things to just, or because they're selfish and things like that, but I've genuinely tried to take my life and it never worked, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's not, it wasn't a cry for help and it wasn't a, or you hear people saying that's just a coward's way. I can tell you for sure that there's not many people that would take a knife and no, or, or the guts that it takes for somebody to put a rope around their neck. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And, and I think it. it's so, I mean, I've I've heard, I've spoken a lot with people who have, you know, attempted suicide and um, I run a men's mental health organisation and oof, what you're saying now, it's kind of rendering me a bit speechless, you know, how much you must have been. I'm trying to sort of fathom out the feelings that you were going through. Did, was the feelings was there intense feelings or was it different each time or was there no feelings or I think, you... I think you're just totally numb right. like there's just nothing it doesn't i used to wake up there was a period of time i would wake up and the first thing that came into my head was like how could i kill myself and how how could i do it so it would be quick so it would be painless so that um i wouldn't make I'm messing myself, if you know what I mean. Like, so if somebody had to find me, yeah, it would just look like a normal person. Do you know what I mean? That, that was the kind of things that went through your head. So, like, if you jumped off a bridge or something like that, and it's not going to be a very nice sight for somebody to see when you're found yeah. or whatever else, or if if your family had to come and wreck it, like whatever, just the things going to go through your head, like yeah. So you didn't how, how, stress anyone who found. Aye, yeah. but I just I just wanted the pain to stop, and I just I, I wanted it to end. So I, I used to wake up. And that would be the first thought in my head, and it would just it would go for that time in the morning, just to, to I went back to bed at night. Do you know what I mean? And it was horrendous. Like, what was the thing that stopped that or helped you get away from that? There must have been surely an experience or a person in your life where things seemed a little bit more like there was a different way out. I think since um, I met my wife. Um, Things have changed massive for me, massively for me in terms of the way I think about things, and um, I actually done that that to my throat right in front of her, like mm -hmm. right right in front of her. So she was like watching me, do you know what I mean? So, and then I've I've, I've sat back and I've thought about what it's maybe done to her, um, and she's been good in terms of she's a social worker, so she works for children and families and things like that. So she'll see a lot of the stuff that I talk about day to day, trying to protect kids from things like that or yeah, whatever. So she's got a good bit of understanding and how we maybe deal with people um, 
who is suffering uh, with mental health issues. Whereas before, I was, I was, I went, I met another girl obviously after um, I left, or I split up for my wee girl's mum, and I was with her for about three or four years, and it was just if I ever spoke about my, my mental health stuff or anything like that, or she was, it was she just didn't know what I know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think the day that I broke up with her was the, or the day that she broke up with me, sorry, was the day that I'd done my very first story in the paper. Oh, right. Um, so she texted me and she called me. Um, she basically just says, you're an attention-seeking bastard. That was and it. basically it was over. So, I it's just, I think, certain relationships have been and have not helped the way I've felt. Things I've done in relationships have not helped the way I am, um, and I don't ever pretend to be perfect. And I hold my hands up now and kind of say, obviously, things I've done is sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. But there's there's a lot more behind it um, than than just that. Do you know what I mean? A lot of yeah. people say a lot of people say to me, "Are you um, you cause your own problems and stuff like that?" But but I since I've met my wife, she's been absolutely brilliant with me and even the things like see with my daughter now um since i obviously since i met nicola that's my wife uh she she stepped in a bit and and done a lot of the contact stuff so i didn't have to get involved with, with holly's mum because it just always ended up in an argument do you know what i mean yeah. um so she was really good like that and then things again just turned nasty on the other side towards my wife so the two have been through a lot with that situation as well, um, but she's always been great with me and always managed to. Uh, sorry, I was talking about my uh, my daughter. There. She's she's been night and day, night and day um, for me and my daughter. Because um, yeah. when, when I was when I was obviously in that last relationship, I was talking about when I was getting my daughter and things like that, I couldn't cope. But I, I was getting her. I'm not maybe not seen her for weeks and weeks at a time, and then I was getting her, and I was just a young boy. I was staying at my mum's at the time and. I would just always end up getting my mum to watch and stuff like that. And when I look kind of back, I'm like, I was a shit dad. And I just I just never knew how to deal with stuff then. Yeah. And I was, it just really, really stressed me out. Um, it's a difficult role to play, isn't it? And if you've not particularly had the best role model, then you're kind yeah. of winging it, aren't you? So Yeah, but since I've met my wife, she's been brilliant for like, both me and my daughter in terms of the way I... The way I react to them and the things that I need to do like whether it be through contact and stuff like that like she'll, she'll do all that stuff for me because she's got the know-how she, she knows what she's talking about whereas yeah. it's easy for me just to hold my hands up and go oh, do you know but I'm walking away because I can't deal with any of it yeah whereas, she's, whereas she, she's there for me and um, and again obviously we, we've got a, a, a wee girl who's nearly two in this year Um. And she's been since she's been here. I've just get it's just something totally different. To I, I'm now getting a chance to be a dad, like be a dad, yeah, and, and, and grow up with doing the things that I should have been doing with my other daughter and things like that. And, that, and that's that's probably some of the, the most important stuff that's made me feel the way I've been feeling and put me through some of the the, the stuff that I've been through is not being able to have that. And it's t- it's taken me nearly ten years, and I'm just getting through the start. Of, finally trying to resolve things through court and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? But 10 years it's took me, so, and, and she's held the cards the whole time. Um, so I think the way she's been has got a massive 
um, part to play and obviously the way I feel. But, but just get, going back slightly to, I just wanted to touch upon um, the mental health services, you know, when you tried to access care when you needed it. I know you've spoken before about the waiting times. Did you? What was your first experience with trying to engage with them? Um, I, I, I went and seen the doctor when I was... I'd be lying if I tried to tell you the age, actually, but I was quite young anyway. So, went and seen the doctor. They tried to put me on tablets, and I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that, do you know what I mean? I'm no... I don't want to depend on something to make me feel better. I, if I want to do it, I like to do it myself. But obviously, the further I go on, like, I'm, I'm taking stuff like that now, so it does help, and it can help people, but... Back then, <clears throat> I don't know what to do it, so they were trying to get me to um, see a CPN, a community psychiatric nurse, um, just at the, the health centre and things like that. But I think, um, I don't know, I just never clicked with the people. And I just felt like when I went in and seen these um, nurses that I was just like, just another number of them, do you know what I mean? It was as though they were wanting me to go in and, and you just went in and just says how you were feeling and they just la- listened and then that was it. Do you know what I mean? There was no there was no really much feedback from yeah. from them. Um and things like that. So I found it really hard and then ultimately I just ended up disengaging for it and um that happened a few times until um I've spoke to a couple of people at clubs and club chaplains and things like that and who are really good um obviously at the time when I was at the club. Um, but then I went through a period where I'd signed for somebody and uh, I signed for Alawa and uh, I was buzzing because it was like this ex-international player, Celtic player, Hearts player and that was the manager and the fact that he wanted me, I was like, this is brilliant, you know what I mean? They'd just been promoted um, for the league that we were in um, so, and he wanted to sign me, obviously, but seen me playing, seen me playing against him. So <clears throat> went and signed there and was loving it. But I was going through a really, really tough time. Um, and I, that was one of the times where I'd been kind of saying, like, I was waking up every day and wondering how I could end my life. Um, and to cut a long story short, I was, uh, cut a long story short, I was basically released for that club because of my mental health problems. But that's where I find myself quite lucky in, in the fact that I play football and we get access to things like that, like, almost instantly. So, and I can, in a way, there's, like, when I speak about these kind of things, I feel a bit bad because I, I, I'm one of the lucky ones, do you know what I mean? That I can access this stuff so freely and so quickly um, just because I play football and because it's through, it's, it's done through that, do you know what I mean? Um, unfortunately, I know every workplace is the same. Um, but... To give you an example, obviously the stuff for the NHS, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having a dig at the NHS or whatever else because um, they're great. Do you know what I mean? But it's just the the whole thing when I went to the hospital with, with my throat. Um, like I was, my, my wife was pulled to the side, told like, "We don't know if he'll make it. He's like millimeters away if he's main artery, um, or his jugular vein." Sorry, um, so. I end up getting stitched inside and outside and then I get transferred to a different hospital where I was put in an ENT ward. So I wasn't even putting in a mental health ward, I was putting in an ENT ward because I had an injury an injury to my throat. Um, no, nobody came and spoke to me about, my, about it for 
two days. So I was put in this ENT ward that I was allowed access to shower myself, given my history of, like, when I've tried to hang myself. I was given right. my tablet. I was given my tablets to take myself. Oh god! Given, okay. given, given, given my history, obviously my overdoses, and so you were just literally being treated like a patient who'd gone in for. Definitely. So, and I was left with my cutlery. Do you know what I mean? Um, after all the kind of stuff that myself, Alan, and whatever else. So, but for me, I never thought about anything. I, I was that's not what was going through my head. So, when my wife came to the hospital. Or came in the next day, he obviously come and visit me. She's like, what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? And, um, and she had a word with the, with the nurses and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, we didn't know what he was in for. Um, and then eventually, like, I think I was in there for three or four days. Uh, and eventually somebody came in to speak to me. And we got one of the, the nurses in the um, psychiatric nurses. And she's like, right, David, um, come through. And this was just before I was getting discharged. So I've stood up and kind of went to walk through and my wife's walked with me and um, she's like, oh, no, 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 just him. And she's like, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, just him. She's like, oh, I'm coming. Um, and eventually we went into the room and sat down and stuff like that. So right, for the, right off the bat, it's it's awkward um, because she didn't want, obviously, my wife there. But what my yeah. wife was trying to explain to her was that, like, he's literally just tried to take his life. He's hardly speaking to him at the moment. He's not going to tell you half of the stuff that you need to know. Or, no. Do you know what I mean? So it's better me being here knowing the full story, telling you the things um, that's went on and how he's been feeling and what he's been saying to me. Um, so I was getting asked questions and stuff, and I was just sitting there and like I was never like giving much away. I would never even lifted my head to be fair. And then so my wife was kind of just like speaking in for me and just saying I would maybe answer a few kind of like, words or something, and then she would finish the rest because I was just the way I was feeling. And eventually the nurse just picked up her books and she went, right, we're just going to have to stop this here and put her uh, stuff on the table. And she's like, this isn't working. And walked out the room. Um, came back 15 minutes later. And we were kind of like, what the, what the hell? Do you know what I mean? And it was all because she wanted to hear it for me and not for my wife. Um, right. But eventually she came back in and she'd obviously had a wee talk with all the nurses and stuff outside because everybody was walking past and looking in the window and whatever else. Um, so she's came back in and she's like right sorry about that blah 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 um, and then eventually like here's a card if you feel like anything in the meantime like you're uh, harming yourself for that then give us a wee number a call but you'll be we've set an appointment you'll be seen within 16 18 weeks and I'm like at 16 oh, 18 weeks that's months away I've literally just tried to cut my throat open and yeah. you're, you're telling me just to go home there's a card if you need to speak to him they but you'll be seen in 16, 18 weeks. And I can understand why people disengage for, it, for things like this and, they, and people leave hospital and go straight away and go through with what they were meant to go through with the night before. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's why I find myself lucky and I feel bad for it sometimes because I know there's people out there that's not getting the opportunities that I've had that, um, that's not been able to speak to people and had to wait this line for time. And ultimately... They've ended their life because it's been too long. People have no idea what it, like what it's like to live with their thoughts for a day. Never mind sixteen, eighteen weeks. For me, I just I just felt like I'd been let down that kind of day. And is that 
why you decided to speak out because you know you thought that people need to know that these things are happening and you know the landscape of that i no definitely and i think that obviously after that had happened every day the, the football knew about it and, and my manager and the assistant manager and that were brilliant they, they'd done so much for me and i time with the football and the club were great with me and then the players union get involved and stuff they'd been involved before that um but then i started to see properly people properly through them and i think that's when things started to get a bit better for me um because i was doing it more consistently and I was falling through stuff, even when I couldn't be bothered. Um, but as I say, I've done a number of these kind of interviews on the news and whatever else. And I just, if anybody ever asked me to do it, do you know what I mean? I'll do it because I, I'm hoping that it helps somebody else just hear my story. Again, there's, there's things where you hear people saying, like, there's people out there worse off than you, or your life's not that bad. Look at this kind of person. But what I always try and say to people is that it doesn't matter what's going on in MDLC's life. See if somebody's feeling down, they're in a dark place. That's the worst they've ever known. So see, trying to compare different things to them, it doesn't matter because it's not going to make them feel any better. No. It's going to make it's going to make them feel worse because it's going to make you, them feel like people don't care. And as I say, every these case is different, but it's but it's kind of unique to them. It's not it's not any better or worse than and what somebody else is feeling and, and how low they're feeling. So that's why I always kind of try and say to people, like, if somebody's coming to you with a problem and they're saying they're feeling down, like, take it seriously because it could be the start of something a lot worse. Did, did you say when you were at the football club that they were quite good themselves? But then was there a, some kind of, like, abuse you received from the fans when you were playing? I th- after I'd done my, my first story in, in the paper, that was, what, 2015 or whatever it was. Um, I was playing with Peterhead at the time and maybe a couple of weeks or whatever down the line we had a game and we were playing it still on Albion. <clears throat> Ten minutes to go, I get subbed, come off um, and I was just standing at the dugouts and one of the, I was standing, the rest of the boys were all standing up watching the last ten minutes and there were shouts for the for the um, for the stands Um for the, the away players, or the away, the away fans, sorry. And it was in this hospitality But I never heard exactly what was said, but I could hear all the players turning around and saying, are you fucking kidding me on? Like, and I was like, oh, what was it? And they were like, never mind, never mind. So then I knew straight away it was about me. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, no, just tell me. And I was starting to get a bit a bit tetchy and, and stuff like that. So he's like, oh, he's just shouted, I go, go and hang yourself and fucking do it right this time. And I was just after, <laughs> that was, that was, Weeks after me saying that I tried to hang myself in the paper. So, obviously, me being the, the way I was and stuff like that, like, I eventually picked out the guy. And as soon as the final whistle went, I was right in the stand. But the, ho- the whole team was in after me, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I never went up and I never started. I just was like, to him, I was like, like, I walked up and I walked in towards him. And I was like, what, what are you playing at? I was like, if you've got something to say, like, say it to me. Don't shout things like that. I was like, I just, and then it just, eventually I get pulled out and stuff from whatever else, but um, we'd made a complaint about it and that. And then ever since, there's been there's been a few occasions where I've, I've heard stuff off of rival fans and players. Um, mm-hmm. So, and again, that was, that was probably what got me, like, last, last year I was kind of 
um, struggling with the idea of whether to just chuck it or not because see when I'm not at football, when I'm not at football, I don't hear any of that stuff. I don't. Yeah. I don't walk down the street and somebody shouts something to me because I'm not. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm an easy target for people. At, um, the lower leagues in Scotland because it's it's so small that you know all the players and the, the clubs are so small. You, like they're much smaller fan bases than everywhere else. So you hear everything that's shouted in the crowd. Do you know what I mean? So it, it becomes hard then. But I was I was kind of saying to myself like, at what point do I call it a day? Because if I'm hearing that. Like, if somebody says that to me out in the street, or him doing it in the street for whatever matter of the things they do show at football, they would get they would get chin for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, they, they, they wouldn't do it. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm having to walk off the park and listen to this stuff, and they're standing two and three feet away from me, and I'm just like, well, I'm either going to walk off the park and I'm going to jump over the into the seats and end up lamping somebody, and then who's going to be the bad one for it? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Who's, it, going to, yeah. who's going to get punished for it? It's going to be me. So, again, it comes back to the whole thing where I was talking about my dad. Like, I'll just take myself out of the situation and I don't need to worry about it. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, when I play, I'm rough. I get stuck in. I can I can be a horrible player, like, on the, on the park. I, just the way I, I get stuck into tackles and I'm so aggressive with people and stuff like that. But it's not... And people just think, oh, because I'm covered in tattoos and things, oh, he's a wee Ned, and he's this and he's that, and blah, blah, blah. And they don't know the first thing about me, do you know what I mean? Because a nicer person you wouldn't be outside the football, I'll speak to Andy. And I'm, I'm dead quiet. I'm not like one of the... When we go away trips and stuff like that with, with the boys, like I sit myself, I don't get involved, I don't go on team nights out and stuff like that, because it's not me. I'm, I'm actually quite quiet when I'm, on what, like, when I'm not at football. I like, to keep, I like my own company and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so these people are just getting an opinion based on the way I am in a park, and it's just because I like to win. It's because I like, I like being aggressive. I like, I, I just like it. I, I, I like getting involved in stuff like that. Um, and it's a good way for me to release kind of things at football. But and I'm a winner, um, and they, they don't like it, um, especially when playing oh, what the opposing fans and stuff like that. So, but there's no need for any of the shouts that I need to get. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you wouldn't get away with that if you were being racist or if you were being homophobic or whatever, do you know what I mean? And I think just what these people don't forget is that they say what they say and then leave and go home and that's the end. They've had a good they've had a good day. They've shouted at a few players. They've made a few folk feel like shit. They leave. They feel good about that. But they don't understand what they've said. Hangs on people like me for a week, for two weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fearing, um, uh, worrying what's going to be said next and, and did and it, it did it did it sit with you for a period of time? Did you feel uh, quite vulnerable to comments like that, or did you feel quite resilient? How did that work out? Sometimes I was kind of just like I stuck two fingers up to them, and I was kind of like, "Well, do you know what? Fuck you," because that tells that says more about you than it does about me. Um, but then there's other times where I would let it get to me. Maybe if I've not if I'd not been feeling good, um, and it did kind of sit on me for a while. And again. It, if you do that, which sometimes you can't help, it just drags you back into that dark place again. So these people don't understand that, though. Do you know what I mean? And it's and if, if they ever need to deal with that in their life, they'll know all about it. And yeah. I've, I've actually had people say stuff to me and have a go at me about my mental health. And two and three years down the line, they're, they're crippled with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And they're actually like, do you know what? I'm sorry. Because... They're not having to do what they know know what it's like. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and it's not for me to go like, ha ha, there you go. Like, get it up, you. Because I would never wish it in my worst enemy. It's the, I still struggle to this day. Like, even before I come on the night, I'm just like, I'm in with my wife and I'm like, oh, I'm a wee bit anxious about this and feeling a wee bit. But now I'm talking about it, I'm fine. But there's day, even last week now, I just, I had a brick wall. I couldn't be bored with MD. I just went to drive and I'd have a, a cry in a car and stuff like that. And yeah. that's it. It's, um, I'm, a, I'm a kite, honestly. I'm up and I'm down and I'm, there's never just a level kind of line with me it's I'm either up or I'm down and that was funny the, the day my wife was like I was in the house and when I see when I get dead high and stuff I'm dead like I'm, I'm like one of the wains honestly I just run about and I'm she's like to me you're worse than the kids um <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm annoying all the kids I'm getting all them up to high door and they're all shouting at me and like leave me alone and, and I think it's funny and stuff like that. and then she's like she can through she's like you're going to crash and burn and I was like I think so <laughs> and then I've come back in and I'm like oh I'm fucked man I'm Shattered and whatever else. <laughs> she knows you best. So, 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 so she knows, do you know what I mean? So I think, like, sometimes it, don't get me wrong, she doesn't take any of my, my shite. She tells me how it is, and I think that's what I need. But um, nah, it's good, it's, as you say, you're, you're up and you're down, and it's part and parcel of having these kind of problems and stuff. And it's just trying to find a, wee, a, a level playing field where you know, you know your triggers, you know. Um, what's going to set you off and when, but then you know what's the best way to try and deal with David when you were um, talking there about <clears throat> the, the the abuse that you got did it was it one of those things that, that happened a few times or was it fairly regular or is it something that's, that's just doesn't happen as much anymore it did for a little while or is it kind of continuous um, there's been a handful of times over the years where it's happened for both fans and players Um and then just recently, was it was it last season? All right, well, this season, but last year, um, I think it was just before I'd done my last uh, bit is it, with Chris on the, the STV. Um, I took six weeks off because of how I'd been feeling and stuff like that, but leading up to it, I'd been saying I'd not been feeling great in my house. And then we played this game and... Uh, it was quite a rough kind of game and that boys were all getting stuck into each other second half we came out and I, I, one of the boys started having to be daughters and stuff like that and try to wind me up um, which was fine the banter was having a bit of banter and stuff like that but then he's kind of tapped me like well the balls at the park he's like oh, we all know your story don't we and I'm like what do you mean but straight away I'm thinking to myself like there's nothing else to know about me other than if you're talking about that you're talking about my mental health stuff Um so I've started to kind of get my, my heckles up a bit and I'm like, so what do you mean? I was like, go say it then. And he's like, ah, nah, nah, you know what I mean? And kind of sniggling and stuff like that. So that was me, red mist. Five minutes later, I was sent off. Um, and then the gaffers come in and had a go at the end, the, the end of the game. And he's just like, I'm not doing it anywhere. I'm not putting up with it because I've been, I, I've been this, this year or this season anyway has been quite tough for me. I have struggled a wee bit. Um, so I've been sent off a couple of times and booked about 11 times um, so not one of my better seasons but I have, the last time he's like I've had enough and whatever else so but I'm like gaffer like he never even knew it would happen he just thought I'd been sent off because I've been been a dick do you know what I mean but yeah. um, so once I told him he was kind of like right okay we'll, we'll try and deal with it and whatever else but is there anything done? 
Like, you know, when you've raised that, and you know what you said there, because I completely agree that, you know, if, if you know if you were a black player and someone's given you racist abuse or, you know, if you were gay and someone's given you homophobic abuse, do people yeah. think there'd be sac- sanctions for that? Has there ever been anything that's officially been done about it? No, no. I could, that, what what we were saying, that, like the gaffer was saying the next time, but if anything happens, like, names will be getting named, you know what I mean? But I'm not the type of person that I'm going to go, and, and it, it sounds silly because I name them and shame them because it shouldn't be happening. It might stop it. But, again, just to, with the way I've been brought up and stuff, like, I'm not going to go and stick somebody into it. Mm. Are you know not worried about like, the repercussions of what would happen if you if you were to say something and someone would get done for it? I Maybe that, but again, see, see at the end of the day, as much as people think I'm an arsehole in the park and whatever else, I still don't want to see somebody losing their job they're playing football or whatever else because of a stupid, dickish comment they've made, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We all say stuff we don't mean, but do you know what, see, next time, maybe just have a wee think to yourself before you open your mouth. So that, that's the way I think it, whereas, whereas I could be totally different and be like, well, do you know what, I'm going to take this the whole road, I'll make sure you never kick a ball for a, again. Type of thing, do you know what I mean? But that's that, but that, that's just not me. But uh, when you're saying about does it still happen and things like that, um, aye, it happens, but they're trying to be smart about it now, so they're saying it without really saying it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not saying, or oh, like that's what's been said before, I watch your wrist, Jimmy Dick, or you're a psycho, you're this, you're that, blah blah blah. And now they're saying, I well know your story, but for, for all they know, they could be, um, they know they could be talking about anything, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so they're saying it without really saying it. And I, but I know, I know what they're meaning because there can't be any other possible thing that they're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then when, when I get when I get raw angry about it and she red mist and my manager and that's hard to me, I just forget it. It's, but it's not as easy as that for me. I'm never going to, I'm never going to accept, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll say that to MD. I'm never going to accept MD saying anything like that to me and me just going, oh, yeah, it's fine, I'm walking away. Especially no another player. Yeah, no, I. I don't think you should have to. It's your place of work at the end of the day. If I'm going into work and someone was saying something like that to me, I'd be, you know, I'd say, you, you went home to your mates and told them about it. They were like, that's completely unacceptable. So I don't think it should be any different because it's professional sport. From where you're, you're at now, David, what sort of things do you do to kind of maintain your mental health and to, to, to keep yourself in a, in a more positive place? I just try and, I don't know, I like, I've started trying to plan out a lot of things I do and, because I've got my own business as well, so I've got my own gym, and uh, it's really stressful itself. Um, so usually I'm, I'm trying to do a million different things at once, and it really makes me, it makes me really anxious. And if I, I I'll do one thing for a wee bit, and then I jump on the next bit, and I, so I never really follow through anything first time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it stresses me. So what I've tried to do now is try to write a list of stuff down that, um, and just tick it off as I go and, and try and plan my, my days out better and so I'm not out of the house all day and because I when I get when I get tired and stuff like that, that's when I start to really struggle. Um so if I do too much like I've done last week, I've been training every day for three weeks, like in the gym, like weights and stuff like that. Then I've been taking classes online um and getting it running and stuff as well. So I've probably just been burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. I try I try not to do that. I try and Trying to keep myself as, uh, I'll, I'll set myself at daily tasks and weekly tasks as best as I can and, and just plan out my stuff and give myself a bit of time where I'm doing nothing, I can just chill. 
Um, for a while there, I was going to my bed and stuff like that, and I was like downloading the, the Headspace app and stuff like that, and I'd stick my earphones in when I go to bed, and it was really, really, it was really good. It was really calming me down and stuff like that, and I was getting a good, good sleep. Um, but again, it's just being consistent with that kind of stuff that I need to do because once I feel better, I'll stop it. Um, yeah. So, um, it's easy again, to like, rest on your laurels, isn't it? When you when you kind of get back to where and even keel to stop doing the things that got you there. That's it, and that's what people don't understand. That you need to be consistent. Do you know what I mean? And um, and the things that you're doing. And I, I try and I, I've got like a wee Facebook group and stuff like that. that I just made up, and since this COVID stuff been kicking off, I've got like eight hundred members in it. So. I talk about my mental health stuff and that, and I try and post some positive things during the day and things as well. But again, I still have my days where I don't go through with the stuff that I do. Do you know what I mean? But um, it's just trying to it's trying to keep trying to keep in that positive mindset and and keep doing the things you're doing. And as I say, for me, it's not burning the candle at both ends, which I can do easily because I'm just I never sit down. Um, but as I say, it's 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 just like um, we were saying earlier. It's, you learn for everything you're doing, do you know what I mean? Um, and hopefully over a, a period of time, I'll have got myself into a good routine where um, I'm having less days where I'm feeling um, a bit more down and stuff like that. And in terms of looking back at the, you know, the the, the, the period of time, as you say, sort of you know, early, mid-20s, late-20s, where from your own admission, you're in kind of a, a much darker position. Yeah. What what kind of advice would you give to somebody who who was who's in that same boat? You know, someone who was listening who's in that that same position. Just to to, to seek advice and and speak to somebody. Don't be scared. Like, that was the hardest thing for me was to to very like first come out and speak about it. And for me, it was obviously like I went public with it, and it was actually through my manager at the time who told me to do it, um, and it helped me. It did tell me because the, the the stuff I got off the back it was was brilliant. Also, I got some bad comments, but. It was nothing compared to the good stuff. But I think just people need to not care about what other people think. And I know it's easier said than done. Um, but see, at the end of the day, you need to look after number one. Mm. And because nobody else is going to do it for you, do you know what I mean? So if if people are feeling the way I've felt, like, go and speak to somebody. Again, it might not be the first person you speak to. It might not work for you, but don't let it put you off. Don't let it put you down and think that oh, I'm never going to get better. Um, because that's what that's what the will happen. That's the questions that will go through their head and stuff like. That. You just need to keep going until until you get and you find somebody that you click with, or if you've got family members that you, that you want to speak to. And, because there's so many people out there that want to help when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, again, more so than the the negative stuff that you get, and you'll always get that, but. There's so many people out there that want to help, that want to listen. Um, so first, I would just say, like, don't be scared to speak about it. And see, once you've done that, it's a weight off your shoulders. And there's uh, there's so many charities that are opening now for mental health stuff, and and you can get this like free counselling or, or speaking to people a lot quicker than you can through the NHS. Um, and that's not to say that it's any better or it's any worse, but it's there. Yeah. Um, so I would urge people to kind of seek out that kind of stuff as well because there's so much it about. Um, and because, there's, again, there's, there's people that want to try and make a difference and help people in these situations. Um, so I, that's, that's probably what I would say to people that are struggling and where I was at then. Um, just be honest. Don't be scared to admit to yourself that you might 
there might be something wrong or something that's not a hundred percent in your head because it's fine. Everybody will go through something like this sometime in their life, and again, it's down to how people deal with it. And then it doesn't matter what it is; it's, it, it's personal to you. So as long as you can just be honest with yourself and and then go through and speak to somebody about it, and that's the first thing that's the weight off your shoulders. And from then, things become a bit easier. Um, as long as again you continue to do these things um, that make you feel better. Welcome back. You're listening to the Man Marking Podcast. I'm still with Ryan Pulford. Normally at this stage, what Ryan and I tend to do is kind of dissect the interview we've just heard, do a bit of analysis and, and kind of maybe give a bit of thought on how the sort of themes that had been played out in the interview had either kind of happened in our lives or had affected our lives. Given the kind of nature of the interview that we've just listened to, what we thought would probably be a better use of time at this point would be to use this opportunity to signpost people to organisations that may be able to help if you're feeling in a similar position that, that David felt in at any point in his life. So, Ryan, I'm going to hand over to you to kind of talk through the first one. Yeah, so the first one a lot of people may have heard of is the Samaritans, uh, but they may not actually know what they do and they're, they're here for um, suicide prevention. Now, you can ring anonymously and the number to call is 116123. That number is 116123. Uh, a volunteer will answer the phone and uh, they normally answer with something like Samaritans, can I help you? And it's just an opportunity for you to talk and have somebody on the end who will listen. Um, it doesn't matter what your troubles are, uh, where you are at your stage of your battle. They're, they're just there to, to give you some space to be yourself, uh, focus your thoughts and feelings and, and ask some questions as well. They don't necessarily tell you what you should do, uh, but often that's not what you need. You don't really need to be told. You just need somebody to listen. You can also email as well. Now, obviously, they are a charity and they, they try and respond to you as quick as possible. I checked this morning. I think that the current response time is around 24 hours on email. So if you are really struggling and you want to speak to somebody now, then, then I would pick up the phone. It's free to call. Um, and, and as well, as I mentioned, it can be anonymous if you are worried. Um, but yeah, in today's day and age, when waiting lists are months on end, 24 hours on an email as well, it, 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 is, it is as quick as they probably could be, considering they are a, an organisation that's funded based on volunteers and, and charitable donations. So their tagline is, every life lost to suicide is a tragedy. Um, and and that is so true. The Samaritans have actually been going since 1953. It's not it's not a recent organisation, um, and it's just there to provide emotional support in it to anybody who's in emotional distress and only struggling to cope or at risk through, of suicide throughout the United Kingdom and also Ireland as well. So if you are listening and you think there's somebody who could help, pick up the phone to them, drop them an email, and and make sure you do that as soon as possible. And the second. Uh, organization that we're featuring is one that is based up in Scotland. It's called Breathing Space. It was started in 2002 and it became a national phone line in 2004. And it works in a similar way to the Samaritans. They're a free confidential phone service for anyone in Scotland over the age of 16 that's experiencing low mood, depression or anxiety. And their number is 0800 838587. That's 0800 838587. 
and they're available Monday to Thursday, 6pm to 2am, and then on a weekend, Friday to Monday, 6pm to 6am. And that service is just for people that are in Scotland. The final one we wanted to feature was an organisation called Shout. And Shout is the UK's first 24-7 service, which is free on all major mobile networks for anyone in crisis, anytime, anywhere. And essentially the way that it works is that you will text the number. The number is 85258. You text Shout to 85258. And the idea behind that is similar to the Samaritans and to Breathing Space and to all other of those type of organisations. But it's done via text and it's done via messaging. Some people do find it difficult to talk over the phone and talk verbally about this type of thing, particularly young people who in, in this kind of technological generation are very used to communicating via text and messages. So that's essentially what Shout's all about. So that number is 85258. You text Shout to 85258. So that's the three organisations that we wanted to touch on to signpost. As we said at the beginning of the episode, there are a lot of graphic details that we just heard. If you are struggling with anything, anything that's been spoken about has, has brought up any feelings within you, uh, you know, to do with ill mental health, depression, anxiety, suicide, any of those things, then that's why we wanted to direct you to those three organisations above who can provide immediate help for anybody who's suffering. That's the end of the episode this week, Ryan. Thanks so much for, for joining us again, mate. No, thanks for having me, mate. It's been enjoyable. And next week, we will be speaking to Andy Greenway from the fantastic Andy's Man Club. And we get another kind of angle about male role models, another kind of angle about masculinity. So that's a really interesting listen. And that'll be out next Monday as per usual. If you want to talk to us, if you want to interact with us, then find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking lads? Once again, thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed the episode, drop us a little review, a like, a subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. So we're going to leave you with David's quick fire. You've been listening to Man Marking, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. When Iron Brew changed their recipe, did you stockpile cans containing the old recipe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know, I, actually, I never. It's not. But the kids did. Um, <laughs> they, they they were they were always when, when we tried when we went outside and stuff like that. We got in the shop. It was like see if you can see if you can try and get the the, the full fat one, like all the other sugar and stuff like that. And, it, <laughs> and every time we, every time we come back in, it was always turning the can when to read what was in the back it, um, which was quite funny. But uh, it's not something I actually drink a lot. Of, um, <laughs> but I the, the kids were the kids were quite big on that one. David, if you could have played with one player from history, who would it have been? If I could have played with one player, yeah, um, probably Paul Gascoigne. For what reason? He was just an absolute legend, um, and again, it's it's weird because he's somebody that's had his own problems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and look at what he done um, through his career. So I I've watched a few I've watched a few programs on him and stuff like that, and I just think like. You hear, you hear people ourselves, some of the best players in the world, saying that he was a different class, and you could just never get near him and stuff like that. And when you watched him, he was, it was just different class. Um, but I, that's probably, if I could ever play there, some, I've played with somebody with him. Was your favourite goal of all time? My favourite goal of all time, of mine or anywhere. 
don't know. It's an uh, open-ended question, really. Uh, that's whichever way you want to take it, Tim. <laughs> uh, my favourite goal for me was probably when I played with Annan. We were in the bottom division um, of Scotland to the, to the professional leagues and we played Dunfermline, who had just been relegated from the Premiership, but they were still... Um, we obviously still seen them, but it was one of their first games they played for being relegated for the Premier uh, the Premiership. So um, when we played them, it was massive, and it was a cup game. Um, they'd been beating us one 0 and I, I managed to pick up the ball in a halfway. So it's come down for a, and I've headed it, but I've headed it and cushioned it, and then I've headed it in front of me again. And again, I was saying earlier, I'm obviously quite a small guy, but I like to put my weight about. So I've went for it with a halfway line, and I've. Um, and I sent a few of the boys to the gym and stuff like that. <laughs> put them on my backside and I cut across the left hand side of the box and threw a step over and the other boys tripped through his feet and then I've just managed to curl it in the top uh, corner, which was it was absolutely amazing to make it one each, but um unfortunately we get beat two one. Um so but that's all that's always been one of my favourite goals. Other than Gascoigne then, when you play football as a child, who did you pretend to be? I like to I like to um, pretend I was Ronaldo when I was a bit younger, mm. like the real Ronaldo. Yeah. No, not Cristiano Ronaldo, the actual real Ronaldo. Brazil's number nine. Uh, aye, that was always my favourite. Getting these, these crazy haircuts like him as well. So. Okay. So <laughs> next question is: When will Scotland qualify for a tournament again? Never. <laughs> Never. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the way they're playing the now, no. Um, nah, hopefully in the next the next few years. I mean, they've they've been improving, but it's always the same old, same old. As we always do well against the big teams, and then throw it away when we were meant to win. Um, but I don't know, man. It's hard. It's hard to tell. We seem a bit far behind compared to different countries and stuff like that. So, and it's amazing because they've got all these great players that play amazing with their clubs, and then when they come together and put a Scotland shirt on, it's as though I've never kicked a ball before. Would you rather fight one Duncan Ferguson or 15 Ali McCoist? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get a, a, a try with Big Dunk, as I say. I'm not, I'm not, I don't shy away from stuff like that, so. Um, <laughs> doesn't it scare me? <laughs> um, if, I ever, if I ever see him around Liverpool, I'll mention that to him. I said, I know right. somebody who wants you a fight, you know, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> and final question, mate. What's your favourite football film? Uh, have you ever seen a shot at Glory? Yes, I have, yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I think it's just because it's. It's like based in Scotland and stuff like that. And I just, yeah. when I watch it and look back to how things used to be like in the olden days and stuff like that, it's just, it's, it's quality. Because I, I, can, I can relate back to that a wee bit like when I was younger and stuff. And Ali McCoist is in that, isn't he? Aye, that's aye. He's the main character in it. Um, aye, I, just, I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. Responsibility yeah. is last goal for Scotland was a penalty in the European Championship finals four years ago now. And here's Gascoigne. Brilliant play! Oh! Take a bow for that! That's unbelievable! And in a minute, it's all gone England's way. Seaman at one end, Gascoigne at the other. An absolute glory for Terry Venable's team. 
You won't see a better goal than that in any international tournament. As if inspired by Seaman's save, Gascoigne leaving Hendry completely and smacking it in past Andy Gorham. What Scotland feared, what Scotland have seen at close quarters, the Rangers man, but very much an opponent today.